everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's a joy to be with you today. We continue today, the second in a series of messages we started last time we were together, um, entitled Small Books, Big Message. And what we are doing is focusing on some of the smaller books in the Bible that are are easy to read in perhaps one setting, uh, but at the same time, they're easy to flip past. And these might be books that you've not paid much attention to, but I believe offer great insight for us in our journey. We've looked uh, last time we were together at Nahum, and that's not a book that many of us are familiar with, but a great resource for us in our time together. One of the minor prophets, some of the prophets of the Old Testament are referred to as minor prophets, and it's not minor because of their message. It's minor simply because they're smaller and, uh, and more concise. We're going to look at another of those, and so if you have your Bible, look with me at the book of Haggai. Now, you can say Haggai or Haggai. Either one of those two pronunciations are acceptable. Uh, Haggai, by the way, is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. So the easiest way for you to find it is go to Matthew. So if you'll just kind of open your Bible to find the red-lettered part, the New Testament book of Matthew, turn left, and the first book you'll come to is Malachi, the next one is Zechariah, and then you're going to be at Haggai. And and today, we're going to look and focus our attention on Haggai. Now, Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. The shortest book in the Old Testament is Obadiah, and we'll be in Obadiah in a couple of weeks, but for today, we're going to look at that second smallest book in the Bible, Haggai. The historical context for this book can uh, be found in the book of Ezra. If you go back in Ezra and kind of read uh, in the earlier parts of Ezra, we we discover uh, some of the things that are happening historically that line up with uh, the prophecy that we find in the book of Haggai. Seventy years after Uh, The nation of Israel has been exiled in bondage in Babylon. Um, They are able now to return to their homeland. Not all of them do. Many of them choose to just stay in Babylon. Of course, after that long an exile, some of them were born in Babylon. All they had ever known was that. But about 60,000 Jews leave Babylon and travel to Judah And their goal is to return to their homeland and once again establish themselves as a nation and to continue to worship God as God had called them and instructed them to do. So they come back to Judah under the leadership of Zerubbabel and immediately they rebuild the altar so that they can offer sacrifices and they're able to reinstitute that sacrifice system and and they offer sacrifices and um, and are able to, to worship. And within two years of them being back, they had already laid the foundation for the temple. So they were working toward the rebuilding of the temple uh, there in uh, Judah. Now, as they laid the foundation for the temple, it becomes apparent that they were making progress on that. 
some Samaritans that were living in the area offered to help. And the Samaritans came and said, can we help you rebuild the temple? And the Jewish people said, no, we don't need your help. We don't want your help. We don't want anything to do with you. And I don't even know why you would bother to ask. Well, naturally, it made the Samaritans mad that the Jewish people turned down their generous offer. And so as a result of that, in anger, they solicited some, some help in the region. And they began to oppose the rebuilding of the temple. And they began to, to stand in opposition, doing everything they could to keep the building from moving forward. And as a result of that, construction on the temple stopped. I mean, it came to a standstill. Fourteen years go by with no work having been done on the temple. But 14 years, people had continued to live their life and had come to a place that they were accustomed to living their life without the temple. They built their houses. They built their businesses. They didn't just shut down and do nothing. They continued working toward building a life for these 14 years. But the temple of God was not touched. And so God sends two prophets to speak to the nation of Judah concerning the rebuilding of the temple. Haggai and Zechariah. Both of these prophets speak to that group of people at that period of time about the rebuilding of the temple. Now, the book of Haggai has four messages within it. Um, what we're going to do is look at the first of those messages. The one thing that's really unique about Haggai is, is that the time and the time frame of these messages is very precise in his writings. We know from chapter 1 that the messages, these four messages that Haggai preaches, happen over a four-month period of time in the last half of the year 520 B.C. So Haggai shares this word, and chapter 1 contains the first of those four messages. Now, if I were to title chapter 1, I think the title of chapter 1 and the title of the message that Haggai was preaching is, is putting first things first. And what I love about that is that he really calls on the people of God to, to, to get to the place where they make number one, number one, put first thing first in your life, and in, in a very practical way kind of helps understand how to do that. And as we look at the sermon that he preaches to them and their response to it, it offers us insight into how we can put first things first in our life. How, how can we live so that our walk matches our talk? Because this is what was happening with the nation uh, uh, of Israel at the time. If you were to ask them, was God first in their life? They would say, yes. Yes, God has first place. He has priority in our lives. But if you looked at the way they lived, 
you would recognize that the way they lived gave no evidence that God was first in their life. Now, that's why I think that this old book has such significant meaning for us today because I think if I were to press you and ask you, does God have first place in your life? Most of us would say, well, yes, yes. I know what priorities are about. God first, family second, work third, all of those. We can get all of that right. We can pass the test. And sometimes we even believe it when we say it, that God is first. But if we look at our lives, if we look carefully at the way we live, what we might discover is there's a discrepancy. And, and isn't it true that's where we struggle? Because we want God to be first in our life. We really do. And we know we struggle to keep him in that first place of our life. That's why at the beginning of the year, we make all these New Year's resolutions and we rededicate our life and we commit ourselves over and over again to be what God wants us to be. And we just struggle with that. And what I love about Haggai is in this message that he preaches and in their response, we're going to discover five steps, five things that he's going to tell us that, that as we look at their lives, these five things help them get to the place where they're walk matches their talk. And, and I think this offers great encouragement for us in the same way uh, today. Now, let, let me mention this one more thing before we get into the text. You, you've got to understand, when I say that their, their walk didn't match their talk, these are not flippant followers. Um, these people were extremely committed to God. Now, the reason I say that is because they left Babylon to come to Judah. Many of them were born in Babylon. They had never known anything else but Babylon, and they left everything they knew, everything they were familiar with, to come to Judah and live as God had called them to live. So they had a desire to be what God wanted them to be. They really wanted that relationship with God, but they struggled to get there. And, and so Haggai offers this message, and their response gives us insight in how we, too, um, can do that in our life. First message is in chapter 1, so let's look together at chapter 1 in the book of Haggai. Have you found it? Matthew, turn left, the book of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jedekiah, uh, Jehoshadak, uh, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The people say the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, and there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Well, that's a graphic verse, isn't it? Doesn't that kind of describe 
the way many of us feel today? I mean, no matter how hard you work, it's never enough. You never seem to be able to get ahead. We keep trying and trying and trying, and that is a picture of what was happening. Thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I call for a drought on the land, and on the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatal, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of their, their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for God. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord, Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatal, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius king. Now, as we look at Haggai's message to these followers of God, he addresses the fact that though they were committed to God, they had lost their zeal for God. They had lost the joy of serving God. And so he calls them back to that joy and that zeal, and, um, and he allows them to recognize how they might accomplish that. And so for our time together today, I want to just look at five things that we can see in his message and their response to the message that provides us insight into how we can make first things first in our life, how we can regain the zeal and joy that we have lost perhaps in serving God. Now the first thing that, that he says to them that I think is a powerful thing. Number one, he says, hey, stop making excuses. If you want to make first things first in your life, if you want to be what God wants you to be, if you want to accomplish all that God wants you to accomplish, stop making excuses. Because all you're doing is just making one excuse after another. I mean, if you'll look with me in verse 2, he simply says this. God says the people were saying, it is not yet time to build the temple. Now, we got to recognize, of course, God was present with his people and his presence was not limited to the temple. When they were in Babylon, God was with them in Babylon. Uh, but what we recognize in the text is that God had instructed them to rebuild the temple because God had told them that the temple was a vital part of their 
relationship with him. It was there that they would offer sacrifices. It was there that they would come to worship. It was there that, that they would find a, a central focus of their life to God. And as he instructs them to rebuild the temple, they begin to offer excuses as to why they failed to do it. Now, there's an old saying, and the old saying is simply this, he who is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. And most of us know people that are really good at making excuses as to why they don't do what they need to do. Children are pretty good at making excuses as they grow up, and we grow into adults, and we're pretty good at making excuses, and we offer excuses even today. If you were to ask them at that time, though, why they were not rebuilding the temple, I think they would have said, well, we want to rebuild the temple, and we believe it's a good idea to rebuild the temple, and, and we are going to rebuild the temple. One day we will do that. We know that God wants us to do it, but the timing is just not right right now. I mean, there's a recession in place, and, and, and times are tough, and, and we're stretched, you know, right now. It's almost all we can do to take care of the needs of our own family, and I just don't really have the extra time and the extra energy and the extra resources to give myself to the rebuilding of the temple, and besides, everything's going okay. We have learned to live without the temple, and we're making our sacrifices, and we're making our, our, our gifts available to God. Now, I, I thought to myself, what would that look like today? It, well, I would simply say for us today, the temple, um, the temple is not a structure. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So God comes to live within us. And, and, and I think Haggai's message to us might be the same. We, we need to be about building the temple of God. And, and if the temple of God is people, then how do we build the temple of God? I, I think it's that we're sharing the gospel with people that, that have never accepted Christ. We are advancing the kingdom. The temple of God is being built as we communicate. The, the temple of God is being built within us as we live our life and make our life fitting as a place for God's presence to dwell. As we recognize that God lives in us and I long for him to live within me and as a result of that I, I live my life so that he is comfortable within me. And I think here God says to the people of Judah and to us the same thing, stop making excuses. Why are you not doing what I have instructed you to do? Why have you stopped? Why have you set it aside? And, and you have all kinds of reasons that you offer, and he simply says this, stop making excuses. If God's to be number one in your life, the first thing you're going to have to do is quit making excuses as to why he's not. Stop. No excuse. So once we've said there's no excuse, and I'm not going to offer any excuse for not being obedient to God or not living as God has instructed me and not doing what God has called me to do. Then we move to the second. And the second step, I think, is offered in the text before us. Stop being selfish. Stop making excuses and stop being selfish. Now, the reason that they were unable to build the temple is because they were busy building their own houses. Uh, all of a sudden, they filled their life up 
with stuff that they wanted and they were concerned with. And they weren't able to build the temple because they were building their own lives. What's really interesting is they had plenty of money to do what they wanted to do. They had plenty of time to do what they wanted to do. They had all of the resources necessary to accomplish what they wanted, but they had no time, no resource, no money to do what God had called them to do. Now, you've got to understand, even as God says in the text before us, when he, when he says, the, the people says, the time has not come, even the time to build the house of the Lord, and then the word of the Lord comes, and, and this is what God says, is it time for you yourself to dwell in panel houses while the house, this house, the house of the Lord lies desolate? You've got to understand, God wasn't saying that it's wrong to pursue goals and ambitions. It's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to have a home. He wasn't angry at them because they had built a home. What he was doing is pointing out that their problem was a heart problem. That's why he says in, in verse 5, now thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. I want you to stop. And, and the word consider your ways could also be translated weigh your heart. Stop. Weigh your heart. Let's, let's take an evaluation here for a moment. In fact, it's so important that he repeats it in verse 7 and says it again. Consider your ways. The Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Weigh your heart. Listen. And, and this is what he's saying. You guys have given all your attention to yourself, and as Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? You've left God out of all your plans, and you're pursuing happiness, and, well, are you happy? And as he begins to describe the people, what he says is, they're not. You know, you're working and everything you're doing, think it's going to bring you the joy and the hope and the encouragement that you're looking for. It doesn't bring you that. You think if you can just get that job, if I can just get that promotion, if I can just get married, if I can just accomplish that. And, and we accomplish those things only to discover that it's, it's like putting money in pockets with holes in it. It doesn't satisfy God says the reason it doesn't satisfy is because I, I won't let it satisfy you. You are made for more than that. You have been created for a relationship with me, and you're never going to find comfort and, and, and complete contentment apart from me. Look at your life. Make an assessment. Weigh your heart. The selfish life doesn't bring the results that you desired. It never does. God was simply saying, look at putting me first in your life. Weigh your hearts. What it looks like for us today is just simply to evaluate, how do I spend my time? How do I invest my resources? Am I being generous? We talked about stewardship earlier on. What are my goals? What are the goals that you have in life? Are, are, are your, the, the typical goals, it seems, in the world today is get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. And we work and work and work, and it never accomplishes what we're longing for. Weigh your heart, he says. But many of us would say, but 
Pastor, I'm busy. I'm busier than I've ever been before. I've got so many things that are going on. I would love to put first thing first. I, I know that God wants me to do that, but I don't have time to do those things in my life. And, you know, it's amazing to me when we talk about just the simple things of of prayer and Bible study and spending time with God and spending time with God's people. And it's like, we're, we're so busy, we don't have time for any of that. But, but you have time for TikTok and you have time for all these goofy videos on your phone that you watch and you got time for Facebook and you got time for, for all the social media stuff that you're about. That, in fact, there's a scary little part. If you've got an iPhone, there's a scary little thing that you can go to and you can click on and it'll tell you how much time you've spent on your phone. And it'll scare you. Because what happens is I don't have time for those things, but you do have to. And, and this is what God's saying. He's just making an observation. Weigh your heart. Look, what are you giving your time to? What are you giving your resources to? What are you giving your energy to? You're giving it to something, and it's not giving you what you want. And he says, I'm just calling you back to myself. Well, not only does he offer this message, stop making excuses and Stop being selfish. And you know what's really interesting? If you really embrace those two, there's a radical change coming. And all of a sudden, the people of Judah said, okay, if I can't offer any excuses, then there's no excuse. And you're right, I'm being selfish. And so as a result of Haggai's message, the people respond. I mean, this is a successful sermon. He preaches the sermon and the people respond and they say, we want to obey. We want to do what God wants us to do. And, and they immediately obey and, and, and they do what God wants. And we find that in verse 12, but there's an interesting part of verse 12 at the end that tells us why they do that. And, and at the end of verse 12, it says that the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And here it is. This is why. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. I think the third thing that has to be in place if we're to make first thing the first thing, if we're to, to live our life in such a way that, that, that our, our walk matches our talk is that we have to have the right view of God. We, we have to have the right view of God. The, the wrong view of God and excuses and selfishness will never allow us to accomplish what God wants, but the right view of God brings with it reverence. In fact, I, I really like the old translation of this verse 12 better. And the people showed reverence for God. The older translation is, and the people feared God. There was a fear of God. We don't often use the term fear of God. It, it seems difficult. But it really means to remember who God is. In the text before us, Haggai uses one phrase for God over and over again. In fact, 14 times in, these, in this little book, he uses the term Lord of hosts. If you translate that literally, it means 
it, it literally means God of angel armies. It, it is the picture of a, of, of, a, of a God that is in control. And so Haggai is saying, you've got to have the right understanding of who God is. If you're going to serve him, you need to have a fear of God. And it doesn't mean that we fear the punishment of God because as the children of God, having accepted Jesus as our Savior, we, we've been covered in the blood. Our sins have been forgiven. And Jesus has paid the price on the cross. We don't have to fear punishment. We don't have to fear death and hell. It doesn't apply to those of us that have accepted Christ. But the fear that he talks about in the text before us is not fear of punishment, but, but it is the fear of displeasing him. I want to live in such a way that, that I don't want to disappoint God. If that's what he wants me to do, I want to do that because I, I, I can't bear in my heart that I would live in a way that would, would disappoint him. It really kind of points back to a relationship. And, and the right view of God is a view that fears him, that honors him, that reveres him, that recognizes and holds him in awe. So to keep first things first, no excuses, no selfishness, a right view of God. But then the fourth thing, also in verse 12, is we obey. We have to obey God. And that's why we find in chapter 12, it says the, the remnant of the people, as they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet, they obeyed. Their heart was, God, you're right, I, I love this. No argument, no bantering back and forth, no hesitation, no trying to, to, to pit my view and make a case for what I want, no procrastination. They just simply said, okay, no more excuses, no more selfishness, you're going to be first, but I'm going to have a view of you that holds you in the right place, and I want to live my life in such a way that honors you, and so God, I just want to live in obedience, and you know, I think like, like the people that Haggai is preaching to, most of us have heard God speak many times in our life, and God may even in our time together today have put his finger on an area in your life when he's saying, stop making an excuse. And, and there's one excuse that you continue to offer as to why you can't do what God wants you to do. And you keep offering that excuse, and God says, stop, no more, don't work. And maybe God's put his finger on an area of selfishness in your life. The reason you're not serving God is because You've got your own agenda, the things you want to do, the direction you want to go. And God says, you know what? No, it, it, as long as you put yourself first, I'm never going to be first. And I want to tell you something just to give you a little heads up. You can put yourself first, but you're never going to get where you think you will. The only way you're going to get where you want to be is when I'm first in your life. And if you have a, a, a reverence of me and you understand the love relationship that we have and you live in such a way that, 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 that you don't want to disappoint me in that relationship, then, then you're going to walk in obedience. And maybe God has put his finger on one of those areas in your life. 
Maybe he's saying to you today, your, your walk doesn't match your talk. You, you say it right. Oh, God's first. But when I look at your life, when we dig deeper, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, it's not there. And as God shows you those areas in your life, this is what happens. He brings us to a point of decision. And you got a choice. And the choice is simply this. I'll either obey or I won't. I'll either obey him or I'll disobey. And the people were brought to a point of obedience. It's, it's just Haggai was saying, here it is. I'm laying it out for you. Quit making excuses. Quit being selfish. This is what you've got to do. And, and this is what God requires of you. Are you going to do it? And they chose to be obedient. I love that as a part of their choosing to be obedient, God comes back with another word for them through Haggai the prophet. And we find that in verse 13. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spake, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying this, I am with you. When you walk in obedience, when you make no more excuses, when you're not selfish, when you're focused on me, I'm with you. I'm with you. And when he's with us, that's when we begin to see and experience all of those things that we long for. Well, the final step that I think he gives us is seen in that last verse of that first chapter, and we could capture it in the word work. It kind of goes hand in hand with obedience. It ties closely to obedience, but there's enough of a difference, I think, that we could look at them separately. Obedience really is an act of the will. It's a mindset. It's a decision that I make. Work is when I take that mindset and that decision and I put it into action. And they go to work. Within three weeks of him preaching this message, they said, yes, God. And they went back to the work of rebuilding the temple. See, this is what I want you to understand. God's not going to pray for you. You got to do that yourself. God's not going to study the Bible for you. He's not going to send the Holy Spirit to do all the hard work. You've, you, you've got to do that yourself. He's not going to serve for you. He's not going to give for you. He's not going to lead for you. He's not going to exercise your spiritual gifts. We have to do that. But when we begin to do that, all of a sudden our walk matches our talk and he really is first and I really am able to live as he has called me to live but because I'm not making excuses about it anymore I'm owning it I'm recognizing that I have all the time and energy and resource I need to serve him as he has called me if I get my eyes off me and put my eyes on him. And I recognize that it's a relationship. And if I can come to this place in my relationship with God where I find such joy in serving him that I never want to disappoint him. I want to live my life in such a way that that, that, that relationship that I have with him is never put in jeopardy. I have a right view of God. And whenever he says something, my answer is always yes. And immediately, 
and the action of my life proves it. So, which one of these five areas are you struggling in today? Because for many of us, we love God. We are committed to him. But the bottom line is, our walk doesn't match our talk. We want it to, but it doesn't. But it can if we look at those five things and ask God to make them a part of our life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this book written long ago to a people very much like us. People that wanted to serve you and wanted you to be first in their life, but it's so easy to become distracted. It's so easy to get involved in the things of life that we somehow forget you. And, and we even lose track of the fact that we forget you. And, and we don't even see that. We just, we think that you're first in our life. But over time, um, as we stop to really evaluate, as we weigh our hearts, we recognize that, that our heart's far from yours. And so I pray that, God, this would be a wake-up call for everybody in this room that, that we would look carefully at our own lives and ask that question, am I living as you have called me to live? Are others able to see in me my actions and my life? this commitment to you. Father, help us to, to step out and accomplish great things for you as we embrace the truth that we've discovered today. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it might be that you're here today and have never accepted the gift of eternal life that Christ offers to you today. And I've talked primarily to believers today about living and walking with him. And, and in fact, that might be one of the reasons that you've struggled. is because you've looked at Christians and you see an inconsistency in their life. And, and, um, and that's caused you to question God's grace and truth. And, and I would just help you to recognize today, we've looked at a passage of Scripture where God addresses that very thing that you see in other people's lives. He addresses in our lives and says, it's not right. You're correct. We don't live always the way we should. But we have discovered that God loves us anyway and forgives us and offers us a new beginning. And you can experience that as well by recognizing your need for him and asking God to forgive you of your sin, turning from your sin to receive the gift of eternal life. So whatever God speaks to you from what we have discovered today, um, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you and would you make a response in these five areas in your life. So would you just bow your head just this, as this music plays. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be happy to do that in the moments uh, that we have. Otherwise, you just let God speak to you and you respond as he leads. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. 
click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.